Let's take our Bibles and um, actually turn to the book of Ruth. We'll touch on a few scriptures before we get there. And uh, I don't know that I really intended it to be this way, but uh, just doing a Bible study in several special words in the Bible. We've uh, dealt with patience and the connection between light and life and and uh, several other words in the Bible. And tonight, I'd just like to kind of continue that and, and look at the word hope. Uh, hope is a wonderful thing. Its definition is simply an expectation of something desired. Desire combined with expectation. And uh, that's a very simple definition. And, of course, we have uh, a lot of uh, hope that is in this world that is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, we have an entire segment of the U.S. population that are hoping President Trump will drop dead. Uh, and they say so in their articles and in their things. I, I don't know that we've ever had so much vitriol expressed by so many people. And uh, praise the Lord, our president just keeps disappointing them. Amen? And uh, But uh, we need to keep him in prayer. Uh, when uh, I was working with Brother Clayton many years ago, uh, we would do a lot of survey uh, work, and we would knock on doors and ask a series of questions, trying to get an opportunity to uh, witness to people. And one of the things that we used to ask was, uh, what do you expect for the future? Do, do you expect uh, some great cataclysmic event to end history as we know it? Or are, are you looking for man to solve the problems and bring about peace? And uh, even just a few years I worked with Brother Clayton, we saw a change there. Uh, I mean, if if you are old enough to understand the Cold War and be raised in that area, we, we were raised waiting for something terrible to happen. How many of you remember hiding under your desk uh, like it was going to do any good? There were windows in the room. Uh, radiation goes right through glass. It was absolute foolishness, but they would have... Uh, I remember this in first and second grade, getting down on my knees and putting my hands on my head and... And uh, that was supposed to protect us. And uh, a lot of hope is just foolish. Uh, uh, Not that I am against picking on Justin Bieber, but I mean, how many silly young girls are hoping that he will be their boyfriend, and if that ever happened, it'd be the worst thing that ever happened to them, and probably Justin Bieber too. Uh, but I mean, it's just a mess. People hope for the craziest things for the most senseless reasons. And could I challenge you that if we take the most simple definition of hope, expectation connected with a desire, those are all things that people hope for. But I would like us to understand something that we have a real and true hope. We have a reason 
of all people who live on earth today not to be without hope. The, the Bible tells us, um, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, And now abideth faith, hope, charity. Of course, we know it goes on, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. But uh, let me challenge you, what charity could you have without faith? And what faith would you have without hope? Uh, neither, not a one of these three great things are minimal or without great consequence in our lives. In this thing called hope, it, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 24, it says we're saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? If you can see something, then you can't hope for it. Uh, how many of you remember uh, when I was a kid, we always loved watching the cowboy movies and, and the Indians were circling the wagon train and everything was on fire and just about the time you thought, it's all over, how in the world can you make such a horrible movie like this? And then you hear, the, trump, the bugle blowing and the cavalry comes over the hill and saves the day. How many of you remember that? Uh, seeing things like that. And, and uh, Americans make lots of movies like that. Because we're, we're people with hope. Um, it was uh, actually early in 1942 in the Philippines the largest surrender of U.S. troops in American history. As there was not enough supplies, there was not enough soldiers, they were overwhelmed, and the American forces in the Philippines surrendered to the Japanese. Uh, one of the things that came from that was the Bataan Death March, where they took these American soldiers that had been fighting in the trenches on half rations, some of them uh, on almost no rations, and marched them miles and miles through the jungle, put them in camps. It was months, it was six months before a day passed when not one soldier died. It, it was a terrible, terrible time. And yet, if you read the history uh, of those men and the history that happened. Strangely enough, it wasn't the older married men, of which were many. There were National Guard troops in the Philippines protecting them because uh, they would not spare any of the regular soldiers. Everything was going to Europe at, at that point. And, and uh, they, they just felt like they could not reinforce the Philippines and that's always been a great question that will never be answered in this lifetime as to why things like that happen. But actually what they found out was the young, strong, single men died the quickest. It was those older men that lived. And here's why. They had hope. They had a family. They had a wife, they had children waiting at home. And they 
wanted to get home. And after all of those terrible things and the starvation and the, uh, and the labor and, and everything that was exacted upon them, many of them were transported to Japan. Some of them got to see the flash from the atomic bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And, and it, it was just an a, a tr- a unbelievable circumstance. And yet, those that had hope survived. Those that had someone waiting on them. And, and I want to challenge you tonight. As we start here in, in the book of Ruth, this is what we call the law of first mention. Uh, this is the uh, first time the word hope is used in the Bible. And uh, it's not a very positive definition, not a very positive thing, but uh, sometimes we can better define a word by what is not happening than uh, defining it positively. And we go down here to verse 12, and Naomi is talking to her daughters-in-law. Her husband has died. Both of her sons had died. She's now looking at the... Moabitish women that had married, their, their, her sons had married. And verse 12, she says, Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say, I have hope. If I should have an husband also tonight and should bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Now, here's Naomi's... Uh, I don't even know what you would call this. How in the world could anyone in their right mind ask someone who had left Moabitish culture and the worship of the Moabitish gods... Some of the most vile rituals that have ever been participated in by mankind. That was the Moabites. Human sacrifice was a regular part of what they did in all kinds of sordid things. Don't, don't study how they worship the devil. Study how we worship God. Amen. And, and yet Naomi's telling them, I have no hope. And yet, in the book of Ruth, is it not such a wonderful painting of hope? Because here we have Naomi. When she finally goes back and Ruth follows her back, she tells the women of Bethlehem there, don't even call me Naomi, which meant pleasant. Call me Mara, which is bitter. Uh, She said, my life is bitter. I've lost everything. Now, I want you to stop and think a minute. Here's Ruth listening to Naomi talk about having lost everything, that her life was over, that she didn't know why God was even leaving her alive. She had just come back to Bethlehem to die, basically. And yet Ruth had come back with her. Didn't that count for something? Uh, Not in Naomi's mind. And it wasn't until 
two-thirds of the way through the book that Naomi actually realizes that, hey, there's Boaz. And when we get to the end of the book, we have hope for everyone, do we not? We have hope for Naomi. Uh, Let's just uh, look at Ruth chapter 4 and verse 14. And it says, uh, verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the woman said, women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age for thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And, of course, they called the name of Ruth's son Obed. And Obed had a son which was Jesse, and Jesse had a son which was David. How, How much more hope could you want? Amen? And how about Boaz? Boaz is one of those people say, well, where in the world was Boaz? I mean, he was rich and he was a powerful kinsman. Boaz didn't have any needs. Well, how come Ruth became his primary wife and the only one that took his name on because Boaz hadn't been married? How many of you know who Boaz's mother was? Her name was Rahab, the harlot from Jericho. You know, there was not very many people apparently willing to marry Boaz because of his family history, and yet God brought Ruth. And this was a time when Love really wasn't a part of marriage. I mean, did husbands and wives love each other? I am sure that they learned that. But you you didn't fall in love and then get married. That didn't happen in those days. And yet the book of Ruth is so much full of God's love that it's absolutely amazing. And then we have Ruth. How many of you know the Bible injunction? It says that an Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter the congregation of Israel until their tenth generation. Never, ever. And yet, here we have Ruth, not only a part of Israel, but in the direct line of David and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if that's not a picture of hope, I don't know what is. But what kept Ruth going? She just did right. When she had an opportunity to turn back, she refused that opportunity. When she had opportunities to try to make her own way, she refused those things. She just did what was right. And you know what? God gave her far beyond any expectation that she might have ever had. This is the picture of hope. Now, I want us to turn to Hebrews chapter 6, 
And, and we're going to spend the rest of the night just looking at a couple of things. We, we certainly can't look at every passage in the Bible, but just a few here. Hebrews chapter 6. And, and what hope does and what hope can do in the life of the Christian and what we should expect from hope. Now, uh, Hebrews chapter 6 is a, a difficult, what we call a difficult passage in Scripture. Uh, many people get turned around when they get to Hebrews chapter 6, especially verse 6, if they shall fall away. See there, you can lose your salvation. No, that's not what it's talking about. Read the verse. If you could lose your salvation, hypothetical situation, you could never ever get it back. Because Jesus... Well, you would have gone beyond the work of Jesus on the cross. That's why it says, seeing that they crucified to themselves the Lord afresh and put him to an open shame. The simple truth of the matter is there, that person has rejected the work of Jesus as being complete. And it goes on to give the illustration of good soil and bad soil. And then in uh, verse 9, he says, But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though thus we speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister." And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could not swear by no greater, he swore by himself saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. So that after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his, of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. That God, by two immutable things, in which it, it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil, Whither the forerunner for us is entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we look at this passage, and honestly, it would be nice just to take time to go through the entire chapter here. And uh, Jason, I, I think you're going to need to go upstairs, maybe get a, some cough drops from your mom, okay? Would you do that for me, please? Okay. And um, let's keep moving here. The Bible tells us that hope is an anchor for the soul. Now, how many of you have felt 
the struggles and disappointments of this life almost move you. I mean, if you haven't been there, you will be there. And as we look at this thing, we need to understand that God has given us something to hold us steadfast in His Word. It's called hope. Now, what is that hope? Well, that hope is based on the fact that Jesus has already finished the course. Amen? He has died. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He said on the cross, it is finished, meaning the work of salvation has been done. Uh, People often take this passage here and they talk about hoping unto the end and say, well, you're saved if you hope unto the end, but if you give up, you lose. No. Wait a minute. The Bible tells us that hope is an anchor for the soul. It's not going anywhere. Don't cut the anchor rope. Amen? We need to hold on to this fact that Jesus has finished the course. The reason I can hope to the end is because Jesus has already finished it. What did he give you when he saved you? Eternal life. You know what? Should Alzheimer's or some terrible disease come and I lose my mind, I cannot lose my salvation. Amen? We have a hope that holds on to us. It is set before us. It is something that we can build our life around. How many people have built their lives on hopes that have vanished. I think of how many times Wall Street has disappointed the hopes of those that have invested therein. I I mean, it's just an unbelievable history uh, of losing so much capital. I mean, somebody ought to do a study on how much money has been lost at Wall Street. If we could only find it. We'd make Buffett look like a poor person, wouldn't we? Uh, all, all that income, all of that value that has been lost. Do you know why it's been lost? Because it's not real. It's just error. It's just hope. And how many of you have listened to the news here of late? Oh, the stock market can't continue just to go up. It's going to have to correct. I mean, it's, it's got to come down, but... The president cut taxes and it just keeps going up. It's funny listening to these people report on this. It's hilarious. But I'll tell you what, it doesn't bother me whatever happens on Wall Street. you know why? Because I don't have anything over there. No investments. My investments are right here. And in the mission field. And in Heartland. And in places where we can reap an eternal reward. Now, let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Verse 1 says, 
Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherein Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, we're just going to set the context here before we read the verse that, that I want us to get, is in the Galatian churches, we had the Judaizers who had gone into the churches and tried to teach them that unless you keep the law, unless you become a Jew, you cannot be saved. And Paul is using the book of Galatians trying to teach these people that that is not the way of salvation. Salvation is a finished work of Christ. And he's telling them, stand in the liberty that is in Christ. You cannot earn righteousness or holiness. It's something you must get from God. Can we say amen to that? Now let's go down to verse 5. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. How many of you have ever gotten mad at yourself for just messing up in your service for Christ? It just... Why did I do that? Why did I lose my temper? Why, why did I let that go by? Why did I just not turn off the TV set and let all that garbage come into my mind? Why didn't... And I don't know about you, but you, you get... Why did I do that? Have anybody ever had conversations with yourself? I mean, not nice ones. Talking about how dumb and silly you are and why did you do this and well here's what the Bible says to keep you from that you see look verse 5 it says we for we through the spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith we sing that song in Sunday school he's still working on me Make me what I ought to be. And that's a nice little song. But And God is working on us. But there's going to come a point where there's only so much work God can do. You see, that's why we have to pass through that veil of death. Because he's got to get rid of this old flesh. And then he's going to give us his righteousness. Do you know that in heaven, I'll never have a stray thought. That I'm never going to mess up again. Have you ever just thought about that? You see, that hope will keep us going. We have the hope of righteousness. Now stop and think about what many of you had before you got saved. Well, if you did enough good works, maybe you could hope to go to purgatory and only spend a thousand or two thousand years there and then you would get to go to heaven. That's what the Catholic Church teaches, isn't it? What kind of hope is that? And, and people get all upset about the Catholics and purgatory, but I think the Protestants are far sillier and far more foolish in their hope than the Catholics are. Because they just simply, well, you just do the best you can and God will understand. When's the last time your boss told you that? Well, just do the best you can. It'll be okay. 
The only time the boss tells you that is when it's too late to do it right. Isn't that true? When there's no hope of getting anything right, well, let's just make the best of this mess. Uh, And maybe the boss is worried about losing his or her job as well, but there's never been a time when you just do the best you can. The world doesn't accept that. You get pulled over by a police officer and say, now what was going on here? Well, officer, I was just doing the best I can. I was just keeping up with traffic. And and, uh, you're going to get a ticket. I mean, a big one. That's not acceptable. Well, here's what God says. We have the hope of righteousness. We through the Spirit. That's why the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We have a hope that is the anchor of our soul. Why? Because Jesus has gone there. We have a hope of righteousness You know what that means? God is not going to let me go because of my failures to obey Him. You know what we call that? Unconditional love. Isn't that what the world just wishes and idolizes and talks about and never has? You can't find unconditional love outside the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that love is our hope, that hope of righteousness, which is by faith. And we've got one more here. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And some of you already know what we're going to talk about here. (coughs) Verse 13 says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, Concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others, which have no hope. It's it's a hard thing many times as a pastor to preach a funeral. Uh, Especially, um, I remember a while back, I just got a phone call from the funeral home and they said, Uh, They're asking for a Baptist preacher, and we realize you're the closest church to the funeral home. Would you come and preach for us? I'm going, oh, okay, I'll come. And so I said, would it be possible to at least meet the family before the funeral to to get to know a little bit about this person? And, And praise God, it was an older lady, but she came from a Baptist church down south. Many, many years ago. So I didn't have to worry about everything that I would normally be concerned of. I mean, somebody says, oh, yes, they were a faithful member of some Baptist church in New York City. I'd be going, oh, boy, what in the world do I say? But when you get a good old church 40, 50 years ago, they preach the gospel. And one thing about a Baptist church, we don't accept members without people being baptized. But we don't baptize anybody that doesn't give a testimony of faith in Jesus. And so that was my sermon. is because there was some hope there. And I said, I I never had the privilege of meeting 
the, the deceased. But I was talking with the family, and this is what they told me. I said, I'm a Baptist preacher, and I know a few things about Baptist churches. And people started looking up and, and listening, and I said, you know, we... We believe in baptizing. And you could just see, yes, yes, everybody. And I said, but we don't baptize anybody that doesn't get saved first. And several of those old ladies, especially her sisters, were just looking and smiling and saying, that's right, preacher, that's right. And so everybody got the gospel. You see, we have a hope. But the world, they don't have hope. When somebody dies, they're not going to see him again. Some of these Eastern religions, the only hope that they have is in burning the body of their loved one to ashes and throwing it in the river and different things. What kind of hope is that? But the Bible says that we have a hope because Jesus is coming back. I'm going to see them again. We sang that song tonight. He, the pearly gates will open so that I may enter in. And, uh, of course, a little confusion there on the songwriter's part. The pearly gates are the new Jerusalem. Amen. And when we die, we'll already be in heaven and we'll see the new Jerusalem come out. But we'll get to go in through those gates and walk on those golden streets. Because Jesus is coming back. If we were to read Titus chapter 2, it tells us that the return of Jesus Christ is our blessed hope. In fact, let's take a moment and read there. You got Second Thessalonians, First, Second Timothy, the book of Titus chapter 2. And uh, let's just start in verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Do we not live in a world where the quote-unquote smartest people in the room want to despise this book and those that believe in it? Uh, they just want to make fun. Oh, you're just one of those Christians. Yes, I am. And you know what? It tells me not to allow you to despise me. Now, I can't change what's in their heart. But that doesn't mean I'm going to just sit here and hang my head because, oh, this Jesus is real. Amen? He is coming back. I remember witnessing to, it was a whole group of, uh, of Muslims one time. And they began doing some things that were just absolutely outrageous and, I said, you know something? I said, we're going to meet on Judgment Day. And they said, yeah, yeah, we're going to meet. Muhammad's going to be there. I said, yes, he will. 
I didn't tell him at the great white throne. But he's going to be there. And I said, and if you don't match up to what's in this book called the Bible, those angels are going to bind your hands and feet and cast you into the lake of fire and brimstone that burneth forever and ever. Tell you what, it got pretty quiet there for a few minutes. They didn't know what to say about it. Well, we're going to see. We'll see who's true. I said, yes, we will. You see, we don't need to be afraid of what we believe. It's absolutely funny to me that people will look at the Bible and they'll say, the story of Jonah and the whale is so fantastic that I can't believe it. The story of creation has got to be a fairy tale. We, we got here by evolution. And then here's what they believe. They believe that there's life on Mars. And they love Star Wars. You know, I tried to watch that sometime. And if you can and enjoy it, be my guest. But it is just nonsense. It is a bunch of all of those weird aliens. They do things that you and I do. That's the problem I have with Star Wars. There's nothing original there. It's just all of these weird-looking things doing all the terrible things that people do, just like Greek mythology. Uh, it's no real difference. There's nothing new under the sun. And yet, they want to believe that an asteroid hit the Earth so hard that it propelled microscopic organisms all the way through the vacuum of space that landed on the planet Mars and actually lived. I'm sitting there going, you talk about nonsense. And yet you call the Bible silly and your stuff you call science. Let, let me tell you something. We don't need to be ashamed of what's in this book. It gives me hope. Because Jesus is coming back. And you know what 1 John 3, 3 says? Every man that hath this hope in him. What is that hope? Being like Jesus. Of getting that righteousness that the Bible talks about. Of actually pulling in that anchor chain. And going through the veil. And meeting Jesus on the other side. It says every man that hath this hope in him. Purifieth himself, even as he is pure. You know, every once in a while as a Christian, we just have problems getting our flesh to do what's right. Hello? We get discouraged sometimes. We get, we get just down. Well, could I challenge you to start thinking about being like Jesus? Of being face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face. How can it be the words of the song? And yet the Bible tells me, I'm going to know Him even as He knows me. I'm going to know even as I am known. I am looking so forward to that. One of the most frustrating things in life is sitting down and having to figure something out that... Nobody else wants to take the time to figure out, like how to hook up the boilers over at Union or some of those little projects that we've had and, 
and, and uh, Andrew remembers, and he'll, he'll just say, I, I've seen him, he'll say, Mike, just leave him alone, let's, let's go, we'll do something else, he's figuring. And, and so I was sitting there, you know, when I get on the other side, I'm not going to have to think like that anymore, because I'm already going to know. I, I can't wait. Don't, no more puzzles. No more questions. But the Bible says if I really have that hope living in me, it's going to want to make it's going to make me want to live more like Christ. And if you really want to frustrate the world in which we live, live like Christ. It'll drive them mad. They they can't put up with that. Why why can't you just be mad. I remember my wife telling the story of some uh, classmates of hers when she was in school. They were just trying to get her to say one cuss word because she was the preacher's daughter and they didn't want to, they were trying to get her to be like them. Of course, by God's grace, she didn't do it. And, uh, but that's what the world is trying to do to us. They want us to be hopeless like they are. Because when we have hope, it convicts them. It bothers them. How can you be so happy when everything wrong is happening in our world? Well, some of that's your definition of wrong. I mean, you stop and think of some of the things that have happened. Do you know that the abortion rate has gone down precipitously in the United States since... Our president took office. I'm kind of like that. And everybody's so afraid they're going to lose the right. Well, it has never been a right to murder little children. And yet they do it. Listen, there's some good things that are happening, but that's not where my hope is. My hope is in one day I'm going to see Jesus face to face. My hope is that Jesus is coming back. Amen? My hope is the fact that Jesus is already on the other side waiting for me. He's made the trip. What did Thomas say? We know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? How many of you remember the answer? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And all God's people say, Heavenly Father, we.